It is good to be with you this morning. I greet each of you in the name of Jesus. About a month or so ago, I began reading through the book of Revelation. And my mind was drawn to Revelation because of the turmoil and the uncertainties in our world. I don't know how you feel about everything that's going on around us, but I, I tend to think that, that God's up to something. And I don't know what it is, but I, I, think, I think the things that are happening around us are, are part of a bigger picture. And so my mind was drawn to Revelation. What, what does the Bible say about what's going to happen in the end times? And so I began reading through the book, and what I found was nothing about how COVID-19, all that stuff, fits into the end times. But I found something else that, that really inspired me and blessed me, and it was this, that in spite of our circumstances, we are secure in Christ. No matter what's going on in our world, God's people will be overcomers. And I found that throughout Revelation as I read. There's many places throughout the book of Revelation where things seem terrible. There's terrible things happening. Life is out of control. People are dying. There's, there's just awful things happening. And yet over and over we see God being in control and God's people being secure. And so this morning I want to bring a message from the book of Revelation. And it's going to be a little different in the sense that I'm not going to be focusing on, on a passage, but rather on, on the book as a whole. And I'm going to be looking at three recurring themes that we find throughout Revelation. Those themes are the salvation of the elect, the sanctification of the elect, and the security of the elect. And so, yes, I didn't prepare a Father's Day message, and yet as I sat here in the service this morning and I, I heard the songs, the songs about, especially the second one, about God's, un, who God is and that God doesn't change. And then, then Carver talked about everything going on in our world, the turmoil in our country, and yet in spite of it all, God doesn't change. And so... The, the message this morning would not be possible without an unchanging father. <clears throat> so I've, I've entitled the message this morning, Saved, Sanctified, and Secure. And the purpose of the message is twofold. It's to encourage the saints that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our disappointments and discouragements, we win. We're a part of a kingdom that will never fail. And then the second part of the message is to call the sinner. God wants you to join his side. And it was a blessing to hear of a young person giving their heart to Jesus, joining the kingdom of, of God, joining his kingdom. God loved each of us so much that he was willing to send his son to die for us. And we choose what side we'll be on. And so it's a, it's a call for the sinner to join the kingdom of God. Now, I want to talk just briefly 
about the phrase, the elect. I, I used that phrase in my, in my three points. And this is a phrase that we often shy away from because of the, the, the connotation that goes along with it. There's a lot of people that, that use this phrase in a way that is not proper. But Scripture speaks different times about the elect. God's people as being the elect. Isaiah calls the people of God the elect. Jesus calls his people the elect. Peter does and Paul does. I think there's 16 times where God's people are labeled the elect. And so I'm going to use the phrase this morning. Never in scripture do we find the elect being a false teaching. It's always a good thing. It's always referring to God's people. Now, just to, to clarify, if you, if you look at Scripture as a whole, nowhere do you find the elect being a select, hand-picked group of people. Scripture makes it clear that God has made a way for all men to be saved. And we could look at various passages, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But when I refer to the elect, understand I'm referring not to an elite group of people that God has hand-picked, but rather I'm referring to all those who have chosen the way of God, chosen to be a part of his kingdom. So the first point then is the salvation of the elect. I'm going to start out in Revelation 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. In verse 5, we have the first reference to the salvation of the elect. So Revelation 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now it's easy to read over verse 5 and not allow the reality of, of what it says to sink in. But the end of verse 5 gives us the gospel in a nutshell. It says, unto him, him being Jesus, unto him that loved us, Jesus loved us in spite of who we were, in spite of who we are fallen, sinners, separated from God, and yet Jesus loved us. And he loved us so much that he, he allowed himself to be a part of God's plan to make a way that our sins can be forgiven. He washed us from our sins. Now, how did he do that? What did that cost him? Well, it says, in his own blood. The, the, the price was his blood. The price was, was his life. And yet he loved fallen humanity, sinners, enough that he was willing to shed his blood to make a way that we can be reconciled to God. That's the salvation of the elect. That's where our salvation comes from. We were lost. We were separated from God. We were without hope. And yet because of his great love, he shed his blood so that we can be right with God. Not because he had to, 
not because of what he could get out of it, but because he loved us. I'm glad this morning that I can be a child of God because Jesus made a way, and I trust you are too. And then as we read on through Revelation, there's different references to our salvation, but more than that, there's a lot of references to our Savior, to our Redeemer. Jesus is the main character of Revelation. If you read through, Jesus is the main character. And Jesus is referred to in Revelation in different ways. Oftentimes, Jesus is referred to as a lamb. He's the lamb that was slain. He's the lamb that was dead and is alive again. He's the lamb that was worthy to open the seals. The lamb that was worthy to receive praise. And at the end, he's the lamb that was victorious. Jesus is the lamb. He made a way so that you and I can be redeemed. And so our salvation in Christ is a foundational principle if we are going to be secure in Christ. This is where our Christian race begins. This is where we acknowledge our sinful condition before God and we cry out to Him and, and accept the blood of Jesus on our life and become a part of His family. It's where we make the conscious to- choice to forsake the world and follow Christ. So if we're going to be secure in Christ, secure in the midst of this fallen world, then it must begin with our salvation. But it doesn't end with our salvation. And so that's where we get to the next point then, the sanctification of the elect. There's a very prevalent teaching in our in, in Christianity and, and as a whole today that says that salvation is an end in and of itself. That once you pray that prayer, you're good to go. And you don't have to talk to very many people before you find this teaching coming out. That, that you say the prayer... And you're secure. And you are. If you're faithful. If you continue growing in Christ. If you continue maturing in Christ. Becoming who God wants you to be. And this, this thing of sanctification. This word is used different ways in scripture. The, the meaning of it. I think is, is basically. To be made holy. Or, or to be set apart. And. There's an aspect of sanctification that is a one-time process. When we give our life to Christ, He sanctifies us through His blood. And yet, it's also an ongoing process. It's something that we experience throughout our life. We call it, some people refer to it as progressive sanctification. As we go about our life, we're continuing to become who Christ wants us to be. We're growing in Him. We're maturing in Him. And this idea is found throughout the book of Revelation. That God's people persevered. They, they went through all manner of difficult things, and yet they were faithful. They never strayed away from who God wanted them to be. They, they continued pressing on and, and overcoming the hardships to be what God wanted them to be. Just a few verses in thinking about this. The first one is Revelation 2, verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. 
Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Not a picture of an easy life. Not a picture of a, a bed of roses, but rather it's, it's trials, it's suffering, and it's faithfulness. Faithfulness in spite of the circumstances. Faithfulness in spite of what it's costing you. And then Jesus says, I'll give you a crown of life, an overcomer. Another verse is Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They loved not their lives unto the death. So again, a picture of a Christian that forsook all, and it doesn't matter what it costs him, it doesn't matter what it means, they are choosing the way of Christ until Christ calls them home. In spite of persecution, in spite of suffering, in spite of trials, they're persevering. And then another one then is Revelation 18.4. This is a passage speaking of Babylon, the great city of Babylon, the the sinful city of Babylon. And here's what it says in verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins. So a call for God's people to make a conscious decision to forsake the world, to forsake the pleasures of the world, to, to, to say no to the flesh and follow Christ. This all a part of the sanctifying process that we must go through if we are going to be faithful to God. And there's other verses we could read as well, but they're all examples of the man of God persevering. In spite of what it means, it, it's, it's more than just beginning the race. It's more than just praying the prayer. It's persevering. It's pressing on every day, daily crucifying the flesh, enduring hardness, taking up our cross, saying no to the world, and yes to Christ. And so then we get to the last point, the security of the elect. And this was the point that especially blessed me as I read through Revelation. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of scary things in Revelation. And it's easy to to read over this and say, wow, how's how's this going to pan out? How's this going to affect me? And yet, through it all, God protects his people. Not always from physical harm. There's, There's a lot of verses that tell us that, that God's people will be killed. And yet, God always protects His people from spiritual harm if they are faithful to Him, if they persevere. Just a few examples of this, and, and I'm, I'm moving qu- <clears throat> quickly through this, so you don't have to turn to all these if you don't want. But in chapter 6 and 7 of Revelation, chapter 6, we have these seals that are being opened. And when these seals are opened... A lot of things begin to happen, and a lot of bad things begin to happen. There's economic turmoil, there's persecution, there's death, there's fear. <clears throat> and then we get, to verse, we get to chapter 7, and I want to read verse 9. This is after all these things, or in the midst of, of all these terrible things that are happening. We get to chapter 7, verse 9, and we read this. After this... <coughs> 
I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. That's the people of God, the people that were faithful around the throne of God. Then jump to verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living waters, living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. A beautiful picture of one who overcame. They started the race. They persevered. Yes, they endured hardness. And yet they overcame. They were victorious. And now, for all eternity, they're around the throne praising God. And God is caring for them. No more hunger. No more tears. No more heartache. A beautiful picture of one who is secure in Christ. In spite of the circumstances, they were secure. Another example then is chapters 12 and 13. In these chapters we have, again, some very terrifying scenes. A dragon, and, and there's a verse talking about the dragon, and it says, of the dragon, it says, this dragon went to make war with the remnant of her seed, and in the remnant of her seed being they which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So a dragon making war with God's people. We have in chapter 13 a terrible beast, and it says of the beast in, in 13 verse 7, it says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So this dragon going to war with the saints and, and overcoming them. That's, that's what it says. That's, that's scary. So, so where's the hope? Where's the security for God's people in all of this? Well, then you get to chapter 14, verse 12, and we read this. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. So again, God's people in the midst of turmoil. God's people being overcome by, by the, the, the powers of, of Satan. And yet their salvation is secure. As they are faithful to Christ, as they keep 
their, their commitment to Christ, their salvation is secure. Paul said in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of God? And he lists this whole list of things that, that as human beings, we would say, yeah, they would have the potential to separate us from the love of, of, of God. And yet at the end, he says, none of these things. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Security in Christ. And this is another thing that you see over and over throughout Revelation, that as we are faithful, we are overcomers. As we are faithful, God will always be faithful. God, our salvation in Christ is secure if we are faithful to Him. Now I want to talk a little bit, think about this word overcometh. There's eight times in Revelation, at least eight times, where we find this word overcometh. And if you think about the word overcome, anytime you talk about overcoming something, it automatically implies that you went through a difficult experience. You went through something difficult. And you got through it. You made it through. Any overcomer went through a difficult period in his life. And yet he made it through. He made it to the other side. It always implies struggle. It always implies difficulty. And it always implies victory. And as we read through Revelation, we find this word, overcome, overcometh. Different times. I wanted to give a couple examples thinking about this idea of overcoming. I believe it was this past fall I found myself standing at the finish line of the Richmond Marathon. Now, just to make sure you know, I was on the other side of the fence. I was not running. But I was standing there watching people cross the finish line of the Richmond Marathon. And I, be- I believe that day, I forget the exact number, but there was three races that was, that was going on that day. There was, a, I think it was a 5K, a half marathon, and a whole marathon. And there was something, I, I want to say 20,000 people that ran in, in the three races. I forget the number exactly, but it was, a, it was a lot of people that were running. And we were there watching the marathoners complete their race. We were there because I had a sister and an uncle that were running. And it was, it was so, it, it was such a, just an interesting experience. That's not the right word. I, I'm not sure what word to use. It, it, was, it was just inspiring to see these runners coming down the hill and cross the finish line. You could tell they were exhausted. And they were hurting. And yet, on their faces, you could see triumph. You could see joy. What they had worked so hard for, they were almost ready to complete. And as they came across that finish line, some were smiling. Some, I think, were crying. Some raised their hands up in the air. They were overcomers. They had all started that morning. 
That's, that's the salvation, if you want to compare it to our Christian life. They had all started, and then they had persevered. They had ran, and there was difficulties. My, my sister was telling me later that there, there, was, there was one bridge they had to cross, and there was a stiff wind right in their face as they were coming across this bridge. And she said it was so hard. This wind was blowing in their face, and, and I think it was about 11 miles into the race, her knee started hurting her. So for over half the race... Her knee was just hurting her. And yet she ran and she ran and she ran. And finally there it was, the finish line. They had overcome. They made it. And I think the most touching scene that day as I stood there, we were standing there watching the people, and I started realizing that something was going on. I I heard a little commotion. And here there was an older gentleman that probably less than 200 feet from the finish line, he had fallen down. And he was laying there on the pavement. And people had went up and gathered around him. And, and he laid there a little, and finally he got up. And, and as, he, as he started down towards that finish line, those people were trying to help him, and he wouldn't let them help him. He was pushing people off. He wanted to complete his race. And as he crossed that line, it... People just cheered, and, and it, it just almost brought tears to my eyes. This man that had worked so hard, he was in so much pain, and yet he overcame. He was victorious. In 1 Corinthians 9, <clears throat> Paul compares the Christian life to a race. And in the Christian life, we run, and we run, and we run, and, and it hurts, and there's heartache, and yet we know what's in sight. And as we persevere, eventually we're going to cross that line. We're going to be overcomers. Paul says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. At the end of that marathon, those runners received, it was a little medal on a ribbon and a blanket. That's what they got. Personally, I don't think it's, it's worth the pain. I guess they did. So what does the Christian get who overcomes? I want to read the overcomer verses in Revelation. You can just listen. Most of them are to the, in the, in the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. After each one, there's an overcomer verse. To him who overcomes, here's what I'll give you. And here's what we have. To him who overcomes, will I give to eat. Of the tree of life. To him that overcomes, or he that overcomes, shall not be hurt by the second death. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and I will give him the morning star. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's what Jesus said 
is going to be given to the overcomer. Now, the, everything I read here was, was written specifically to the churches in Revelation, the seven churches, and yet I think it applies to us today as well. And there's one more I didn't read. At the end of Revelation, in case you think those don't apply to you, at the end of Revelation, there's another overcomer verse that, that says this, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's a race I want to run. That's a prize I want to win. And we can be secure as we are faithful to Christ. We can know that that's the prize we'll get if we are faithful. It doesn't matter what's going on in our world. Yes, our world is facing uncertainty. COVID-19 has caused a lot of fear. It's caused a lot of economic hardship. Right now, there's, our country is at war with itself. But it's okay. I'm a child of God. I'm secure in Christ. I can be an overcomer as I'm faithful to Him. Another example I thought of as I was thinking about this, I was talking to a young man just this past week. Him and one of his friends decided that they were going to bike the Continental Divide Trail, which goes from Mexico to Canada. So the one boy's parents, they all loaded up, loaded up their bikes. They drove out to New Mexico, dropped these boys off, and these boys started driving from Mexico to Canada. And they had a lot of ambitions. And he told me, he said, the first 20 to 30 miles was pavement and everything was good. And then they hit dirt. And he said it was hard to, to pedal. We couldn't hardly go. They had a lot of weight on their bikes. They were running out of water. It was hot. It was in the desert. And finally they came upon a bike shop. And the, the worker at the bike shop said, hey, he said, we ship bikes. And they said, ship them home. And they bought a plane ticket and they headed home. And I think, I didn't actually ask him this, but if I remember the story right, they actually beat their parents home. Parents had drove off and dropped them, drove out, dropped them off, and the boys beat their parents home with their bikes. A story of someone who didn't overcome. Not quite the, the, the prize at the end. Instead, it was kind of apologies and humiliation. Is that who you want to be, or do you want to be an overcomer? Do you want to get to the finish line, and yes, you hurt, yes, you're struggling, and yet you're victorious. I want to be faithful. <clears throat> Scripture makes it clear that there are two ways. There's the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And these two ways are in no way compatible with each other. It's darkness versus light. Flesh versus spirit. The broad way versus the narrow way. It's two choices. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to be an overcomer? Or are you going to be a quitter? Are you going to choose the way that's difficult and yet you can be secure? Or are you going to choose the easy route, the broad way? There's a young man that I know who here several years ago, I think it was during the, when the riots were going on in Charlottesville, and, and we got some of the same stuff going on now, but there was these huge groups of people that had banded together 
for a cause. And, and they, were, they were making noise and they were making a statement. And in, it was in the midst of all this that this young man said, I want to be a part of something big. I want to be a part of something big. But he said, not that. And that young man started going to one of our churches and he ended up giving his heart to Christ. He became a part of something big. He decided to choose the way of God. And it cost him some things. It made, made him... It, it caused him to have to make some hard choices. And yet, if he is faithful, he will overcome. He can be secure in Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning, saints. Press on. Persevere. Be faithful. We win. We win. Be faithful. And then for the rest of you, maybe there are some here who aren't sure that's the the race you want to run. Maybe it looks too difficult. Maybe it looks too hard. But I would just encourage you this morning. You can be a child of the Almighty God. You can be a part of a kingdom that will never fail. If we follow the way that our flesh desires, we'll always follow the way of the world. That's the easy way. That's the fun way. That's the exciting way. And yet this way is going to be destroyed. In chapter 18 of of Revelation, it talks about the city of Babylon, the great city of Babylon. And it talks about the the pleasures and the reveling and and, and just the, the sinful lifestyle of Babylon. And it says that kings and princes came from all over the world to partake of this fun, to partake of this lifestyle. And yet, it says in one hour, it was destroyed. And it's a picture of so many people, people from all over the world, choosing the way of the world, choosing the way of pleasure, living it up, luxury, enjoyment, feeding the flesh. And it, it, it seems like a party that will never end. It seems like, why, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? That's, that's the, the broad way. That's, that's the fun way. That's the exciting way. And yet in one hour, it was done. And after that, there was nothing left but sorrow and regret. Why? Why would I choose that way? Proverbs 16, 25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Yes, the world has something that looks exciting, that looks fulfilling, and yet the end thereof is death. And so I invite you today to be a part of a kingdom that will last. I invite you today to join a cause that has, that that for eternity we will be rewarded. Revelation tells us both the reward of the wicked and the reward of the righteous. The reward of the wicked is this, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murders and whoremongers and sorcerers and, and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the reward of the wicked. And the reward of the righteous is, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And again, that's the kingdom I want to be a part of.
What about you this morning? In Revelation 3, Jesus extended an invitation to the failing church of Laodicea. And I believe this invitation goes to all today. He said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So again this morning, to the saints, press on, be faithful, we win. And to those of you who maybe that way seems too hard, I encourage you, the reward is out of this world. We, you, can be secure in Christ. As we accept the sacrifice of Jesus, His blood on our life, we can eternally be secure in Christ if we are faithful to Him. Let's bow our heads for prayer.